Right, here we are, episode 7, video marketing and stuff is here with the one and only Mark Knight Films. Mark has worked in so many avenues of video production, you name it, freelance production houses with all kinds of clients, ranging from the biggest to the smallest. We talk about distribution strategies, how companies should be using their video, and yeah, all things video, because that's what we love. So, let's get into it. Peace. All right, Mark, do you want to give us a little intro about yourself? How did you, I guess, get started in the video world and how did you get to where you are today? Um, yeah, my name is Mark Knight uh, and I'm a filmmaker. Um, basically, I've always been into cinema uh, ever since I was a tiny kid, being shown like Disney movies that scarred me when I was a four-year-old and taking that on through the rest of my childhood. It was... Uh, any spare money I had, I'd be buying VHSs and building my collection of videos to then rent them to my friends and stuff at school and stuff like nice. that. So, yeah, I've always loved film and I, it was always something that I wanted to follow when I was at school, even though I was warned not to, because it was a very different time back then. There were hardly any avenues to get into it other than moving to London and starting as a runner and doing that so that's essentially what I did so I went to university uh, during which I spent a year in the states doing a screenwriting and film production course at UCLA nice uh, which was good good experience taught me some skills that I still use today um, the rest of my university degree was good in terms of giving you an uh, appreciation of the theory of filmmaking but it wasn't that hands-on so I had to follow the yellow brick road to London and go and start out as a runner, earning like £6,000 a year and traipsing around Soho delivering tapes, which is a job oh, wow. that probably doesn't exist at all anymore because <laughs> it's all digital and everything's changed. Um, and then after that, uh, I've worked in advertising. I've worked for production companies that used to make big TV adverts for the likes of Stella and Levi's. Nice. Um, my role there was essentially what was called a director's assistant. And it was quite a niche position because of my love of cinema. What would happen is an agency would send a brief out to a selection of directors that they'd want to make their commercial. And then the production company and the production team would then put together a pitch. So that would be a written document about what you're going to make. But then also that was just when the non-linear editing systems were coming in. So Final Cut Pro was brand new. So it was a question of finding lots of references, putting them together to essentially create mood boards and mood reels. And yeah, I was the go-to guy to go and do that for directors. So director didn't really actually do the job of winning the job. I did it for him nice. or her. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then after the back of that, I went and uh, did periods working in post-production facilities. So I've got quite a full rounded knowledge of that process, well, that old school process of what it was, of bringing in rushes, doing offline edits, telecine, all that old school post-production workflow. Uh, worked in TV production, um, ran my own corporate communications video company for about 10 years. And then in the last three or four years, I've just gone freelance again and found, well, discovered personally that I think social media, social content is the future. And I think a lot of video production companies still look down their nose at it. 
like as though it's like just a flash in the pan because it's scraping the bottom of the barrel and it's not got the budget. But I personally think it's actually the only way that businesses should be using video at the moment because it's the most cost-effective way. Yeah, definitely. Well, you've had a pretty thorough career so far, haven't you? All kinds of stuff. Yeah, I, mean, I suppose you must be happy with the width of experience you had, if that's the word. Yeah, I mean, I've got a lot of experience across a lot of sectors. I've worked and created a lot of different stuff. I mean, my work covers drama, narrative drama, animation, documentary style. I mean, I am a filmmaker. I call myself that because literally I make films. I yeah. tend to do most of the work myself. So I can take the concept from coming up with the idea all the way through to handing over the master. And I do use other people and other collaborators yeah. where I can, but at the moment, yeah, I'm pretty self-sufficient. It's like my output is mine. And I like that because I own it and I feel as though they're mine, even though I may be doing it for a client. If I don't have that investment in a project, I don't see the point. It's almost like being in a sausage factory for me. I'd, I'd rather do something that I really care about and I can put everything into it. And yeah, that's why I call myself a filmmaker. But I still feel like an imposter sometimes, really. Mm. It's like yeah. I still feel as though I'm perhaps winging it a little bit, even though I've probably got, well, over 20 years of experience across pretty much every discipline that you could do, really. In video, yeah. Well, I guess it just never ends, does it? There's always someone doing more than you. Or I mean, it's not even that, is it? It's just... It's uh, feeling confident in what you're doing currently. But I guess, do you think, is that why you went back down the freelance route? Because you wanted to sort of own each project and it felt more like you were getting more out of it from a well, personal point of view. It's easy to look back on it in hindsight. How it actually happened is I was working, owning a company that was working for big companies like Toyota. We did work with Barclay Card. We did a lot of health and safety work with the nuclear sector and wow. the big energy companies. And mm. we were getting relatively good budgets to do work. But more often than not, I found that you put everything into a project and it would never see the light of day. Or once you've made the project, there was never a plan for how to distribute it. So it, it just became sort of disillusioning and I stopped enjoying it. And it coincided with the people that I was running the company with as well. They didn't really look towards the future. They weren't looking at video as I was looking at video. The other half of the company was an, a live events management type company. Um, so who knows what they're doing now with COVID having here because that will just destroy oh, a lot yeah. of events. So, yeah, it's sort of like yeah, if you'd had a magic crystal ball that you could look into the future they might have taken a different approach to it but yeah I just became a, a bit disillusioned with it and so I had to leave for my own personal satisfaction uh, and then pretty much one of the first jobs I got when I left my company was a big commission through an agency who hired a production company who then hired me to make content for Premier Inn so Premier Inn wanted to make a lot of YouTube content all right. So what I did is we were given a brief of a film that had already been made and they were like essentially go and make that 50 more times. So it was 
go to a city across the UK and film a travel log of um, basically uh, a city guide recommending all the other uh, amenities that are around the hotels. Yeah. And I was just following orders and we had a great time doing it and it was a brilliant experience traveling around the country, nice. seeing a lot of good different places, some not so good. Yeah. And at the end of it, they must have made like 200 films and they stuck them on a YouTube channel and nobody watched them. Really? It was pretty much a realization that Premier Inn had just wasted like best part of half a million at least and they got nothing out of it. And no one in that like chain of command understood what they were doing. So off the back of that, an opportunity arose for me to essentially create my own YouTube channel and learn how to do it. So with a friend of mine who is a craftsman, he's a woodmaker, woodworker, blacksmith, machinist, we decided to document the crazy furniture projects that he was making. Mm and use it as a guinea pig to learn how to create consistent, valuable content for a niche audience and to do that continuously, but then also how to build that audience and build that brand and get people interested in it from a standing start. My idea was then to take that model that I was learning on and say to other businesses, this is how you should be spending any budget that you're allocating to video marketing because I personally think that people think that film is a quick fix it's like oh, I'll pay for this film and it'll solve this problem the problem with that is that no film one film ever talks to everybody it's impossible for one film to appeal to any all of the market so what you need to do with film is you need to change your mindset in terms of it's a journey that you're going to go on and you need to try and test and experiment in order to figure out what works. And then you need to change it from actually making content that satisfies you as a filmmaker, but actually making content that works for the audience. So it's very much giving the client or the uh, subscriber or the audience what they want rather than what you want to do, which is essentially what I did throughout my whole corporate career. People would give me money and I'd be mm. like, well, this is a brilliant idea. I'll go and spend you or 30, 50,000 pounds and make something really shiny and amazing. But I didn't really put any thought into actually how it would work for the business. So now if someone's come and say to me, oh, I've got 30 grand, I want you to make a half hour narrative drama for a one-off training pack. I'd be like, you can do that. <laughs> but what I would suggest that you do with 30,000 pounds is invest it across 10 months, paying three grand a month and getting probably 50 to 100 pieces of content per month, mm. every month for 10 months, and try and build something and try and build an audience and try and build a brand and experiment and don't waste it all on one thing, spread your bets. Yeah. That's what I would suggest now. Yeah, definitely. So that's your, your knowledge then of video marketing. Do you think that's definitely helped you in your freelance career, I guess, communicating with businesses. So like you said, with the Travelodge situation, they just didn't have a plan in place, even though they're a massive company. And I guess that's shocking to most people, isn't it? But it happens yeah. all the time, right? I Personally, I don't think... If you go on LinkedIn, there are there's a community on there that would make you think that everyone who makes film and video understands this new world that we live in. 
but that's because they're on LinkedIn. They already understand they're on LinkedIn. But if you go looking for production companies on a Google search or you find the top 10 corporate companies that make uh, corporate video and you go and look at what they're doing on socials, I can pretty much guarantee that none of them are doing it how they should be doing it. None of them have got their own YouTube channel that they understand how to create consistent, valuable content for their audience. They're just working on a, I'm going to do this job. We're going to work with this client. Oh, we need to find more clients. We need to do that. I've been in that world. So I understand mm. how it works. And I've seen it working from small businesses up to really large FTSE 100 businesses. Like there's just this lack of knowledge. And it's because it's scary and because stuff is changing so fast all the time. It's like, until I left my company, I would never have said that I knew anything about video marketing. Ever since I've left, it's like, crikey, there's this whole world out there. And the people who are getting on board now are the ones that are succeeding. And it's becoming a bit more proliferated now. And there's a lot more competition in the video market. There's a lot more people who say that they can make videos and do videos. And for me, personally, sometimes I'm like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. You haven't got the experience that I have or whatever. But having said that, there are some kids out there who are absolutely smashing it. It's like, yeah, sent over your list of questions um, before this. And one of the questions was, uh, recommend a piece of content that you like, that you've seen recently. And the piece that I would have said to you is, yeah, um, go for this young guy called, uh, what, what's he called? He's called uh, Anthony Rubinstein. And right. I don't know him, um, but I saw his work that was recommended by one of my other contacts. And essentially he's done this video for, the Yacht Week, which is a single shot on a drone that essentially flies through a yacht on board the yacht with everybody sat around having drinks and everything. Then the continuous shot moves around to people on the pier swimming and doing all this stuff. Then it pulls up into the air and there's people parasailing and it's all one continuous shot. Wow. It's just like, Jesus, that is, you've done a great job there, mate. And I think he's done it all as well because he is producer, director, visual effects artist. I mean, it's having all of the skills. I don't think in this modern era that you can just say, oh, I'm just a director, which is what I always wanted to be. I always wanted to be a film director. And it's like, you can't be that now. You can't be Christopher Nolan. This It's just way too competitive. Yeah, unless that you're taken. <laughs> but yeah, that role's taken. Um, so you have to find other ways and you have to, develop skills and digital marketing is one of those things that I've had to figure out over the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. You think, do you think, would you say that's harder for the big companies then? Because just because they are big and that knowledge travels slower, perhaps down the ranks, especially in like a marketing department, maybe, especially with social changing so fast and new platforms coming up. Yeah, I mean, if you work in a big company, you, send, you kind of have a budget. If you've got a budget, you sort of want to entrust that budget to someone who's going to, got a reputation, who's got offices, who's got the Flash website, who's got the roster of directors. Mm. All that stuff is really just the shininess. And I, there is a place for the shininess. There is a place for the high-end commercial and stuff. But... If you're doing that and you're not making the YouTube style, how-tos, informational, educational type content that is really just targeting the people who really care about your products and services and giving them the answers that they want, 
then you're missing a trick because that should be your bedrock of investing in video. If you haven't got that as your bedrock, then I think you're probably wasting money on other things that you could take that money and apply it to this that could generate you more of an audience, a more engaged audience. Um, it could even turn into revenue streams on lots of different levels. Um, so if you're not doing that, it sort of feels like you're, you're missing a trick. And that's not to say I'm not bad mouthing companies that get the big gigs and do all that, but with like the recession coming, with the fact that social video and uh, social platforms, we're literally in their infancy. So they've only really, like YouTube's only been around like the best part of 15 years. Mm, yeah. And like TikTok's been around for two years. It's like these things are only going to grow and am amalgamate and change and shift. And if you're not playing that game now, I have a feeling that a lot of companies will get left behind because having worked in the old style industry and moving into this one, it's like it's completely changed the way that I make things. It's completely changed the outlook that I have in terms of what is value for your customer. It's not a shiny thing. It's a strategy. You need to give them a strategy that can be achieved consistently, that is full of value and entertainment and it's not necessarily having the best camera on the job. It's having the idea about how the video is going to be used and how it's going to be perceived and how you can leverage it in order to build your audience. Yeah, definitely. Would you say that's how you differentiate as a filmmaker now? Like, I know obviously you do, um, you know, more like almost narrative and creative styles for companies, which is, you know, is super interesting. And that's definitely, I think, what drew me to your content. Um, so how do you sort of differentiate yourself, would you say, personally as a filmmaker? Or how would you think it's um, wise for people to do so going forward? It's, uh, essentially, I think being a filmmaker is just making sure that you've got a lot of skills. It's having a lot of ways of solving a problem. So the work that you've seen on my showreel shows that I can take a budget and I can create something and I can deliver that way across documentary, animation, or like narrative drama. I can do that. What I'm doing now is I think the better value is to create strategies that aren't 30 grand up front. They're probably three grand up front or six grand up front. And the way that you do that is you change how you approach making video content. So you change the production workflow. So traditionally what you'd have is pre-production, production, and then post-production, and that's where the film company sort of ends. I would say that you can pretty much chop out the bulk of the cost of doing pre-production now. I don't think you need to write scripts. Mm. I don't think you need to be spending time hiring actors. And then, for, for me, it was always a compromise. You spend a lot of time writing a script, and then you essentially turn up on set and you meet the actor and you're just like, right, now you have to act because you haven't got the budget to be having readings beforehand or talking to them about their character or getting them in the right place to deliver the best performance they can because the budget's just on there and the time isn't there on the shoot. So it's already compromised. Plus the fact you're restricted by locations. You're restricted by lots of props and stuff. It's all money. It's like, that's where the money goes. It's in setting something up. So, my approach these days is to say, right, we'll have an idea about what we're going to do, but I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. I'm going to turn up and I'm going to film you doing your job, you answering questions about your job or your services or your products. And then 
it's just essentially no pressure on the contributors because I'm, I'm asking you stuff about what you know. Then the real work comes in the post-production. It comes in taking that raw footage that sometimes you think is just like, God, I haven't got anything there. And it's figuring it out. And it's taking these rough pieces of coal and then trying to turn them into diamonds in the edit. And that is where I think I offer a slightly different approach than most would at the moment. Because with my own channel, which is the Dirty Shed Creations YouTube channel, we don't plan anything that we film. We literally go, right, I'm going to make this tomorrow. Okay, I'll turn up and film you doing that. And you've got to have an intro. You've got to have uh, beats along the way to keep the audience interested. Yeah. But it just sort of happens if you get used to filming in that way. You get lucky more often than not. That, 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 and the next part of that is how you have to be different is you have to have a distribution strategy for the videos that you're making. So whereas a client would call in a video production company and they'd be like, I want this film. So they do the pre-production, do the production, make the film and then hand it over and then that would be the end of it. I think filmmakers need to be advising on how to get that video in front of the target audience in order to make it an effective communication. So for me, I love YouTube for lots of different reasons. I think it's a great resource, but I also think it's essentially, it's like for any company, it's like having your own TV channel. Why wouldn't you do that? Yeah. Why wouldn't you create content for your own TV channel that you can optimize to be found across all the search engines? So that if a story that I've got is I was talking to a company that are electricians and heating specialists, and they were like, oh yeah, we've got a YouTube channel. We made a film, they haven't really checked up on it. And they've made like a two minute film about boiler maintenance. So I went and had to look at it. This film had had over a hundred thousand views and they hadn't even thought about it. But essentially if that piece of content is acting as a start of a funnel or mm. at least saying, subscribe to my channel, come and visit us here for a discount. If it was just working a bit harder for them, who could say how many of that 100,000 would have been become customers? So at the end of this boiler maintenance, if you've essentially got contact us, us if you've got any further inquiries, that you would have got a percentage, even if it was just 1% of the people that watched that film got in contact, that's still a huge increase. And they just didn't know. And I think that's the way for a lot of companies. It's understanding how to make content that fits within that YouTube mold. So it isn't setting up an interview and then having your contributor looking off to the side of the camera to answer questions. You've got to be looking into the camera like this. You've got mm. to be looking down the lens. People that film these interviews like that still, I just, it's just an indication to me that they don't understand how people are consuming video these days. And yeah, I've sort of gone a little bit off track now. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> oh, yeah, it was like the distribution angle. So, yeah, 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 YouTube as a basis for creating core content, and this is something that Gary Vee would be saying, taking a core piece of content and then just turning it into lots of other bits of content. So cut-down versions, still images, text, memes, GIFs, all this off one piece of core content. And that's what you should be doing as a business. You say, right, what are the frequently asked questions that we get in our business? 
essentially explain what your business does, explain where you can add value. That could be like six to 10 films. Off those six to 10 films, it could be five to 10 minutes each. You can then create little cut downs with like little sound bites. You can then create still images that you could use on your Instagram feed. You can create little bite-sized things for TikTok or Instagram Reels, all these things. But it doesn't happen by magic. You have to have a plan for how to do that and you have to have processes in place. So that is something that I think filmmakers will need to offer more in the future. Yeah, that's definitely... I think that's where you add the value, like you said, in the the post-production and distribution is kind of where the money is made, of course. You know, you have to get the right raw files and all that. But once you've got that, you know, I think that's, yeah, like you said, who can be the most valuable filmmaker is the one that can help the company more yeah. rather than, you know, like, cause you can't really just position yourself as a video maker. Do you know what I mean? Cause what does that mean? It doesn't really mean anything, does it? Cause all the company wants is more sales, more leads, whatever. They don't really want a video as such, do they? So yeah, they really the don't care about the aesthetics of it. It's like so many times it's just like, there's so much focus on what's in the video, whereas it shouldn't, like, I used to do a lot of health and safety videos, and you'd work on a film, and then you'd present it to the client, and then they'd come back and go, oh, that guy, at like 10 minutes, he's not got a helmet on, <laughs> oh, he's not yeah. wearing anything like this. It's like, well, yeah, that's what happened. So why don't you address it in another film? Or why don't you actually have a conversation around that rather than just trying to sweep the fact under the carpet? That's not really helping your safety uh, requirements by just going, well, we can't show it. If we don't show it, then it doesn't exist. It's like, no, video isn't a one fix. It can't fix everything, but it can start conversations. And it can be part of a strategy that creates a communication between you and your employees or you and your customers or you and your suppliers so that you're being open and honest. And I think that's probably another element that a lot of businesses struggle with being creating content like this needs you to be authentic it needs you to be inherently probably good like if you're hiding stuff or your company's a little bit shady or you're doing things that you want to keep hidden from the public then you probably shouldn't do this strategy but by not doing that that sure it's, it's sort of an indication that you aren't operating as a good company in the first place i would say yeah well, yeah, because marketing is really just showing what you're doing, right? So yeah. the idea is to have the product or service as good as it can be, and then marketing or video that you just distributes that to potential customers, right? So yeah, it's about think, finding yeah. the target niches, isn't it? It's about finding the right people who will be interested. So yeah, I mean, through doing like the YouTube journey you learn so much all the time collaborations for us have been massive like just being open to partnerships to just asking questions that you might think are a bit cheeky sometimes but you never know what the response is going to be it's like uh, we recently just set up like a sort of brand deal with a spanish company who supply like these industrial forges and they're, they're like going oh this is brilliant we're going to get some free content off you. You're going to get a discounted product that you're going to promote for us. It sort of works for everyone. It's sort of like a, like a trade almost. And that feels good because you're not just doing it for the money. You're doing it because you want to build a partnership. So 
it's not just a one-time sale. It's like, hey, in the future, if I came back to you, I know that we're going to have an established relationship. We might be able to develop something else in the future rather than I've given you something and I've taken your money for it in return. It's a lot more benevolent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I suppose in the YouTuber part of things, don't go too deep on it, but what's one piece of advice you'd give for someone growing from zero because obviously now you've got everyone making content you know i suppose you'd say something about going niche and uh you know collaborations but yeah what what would your view on that be because i know you've only started fairly recently haven't you so. yeah i mean in terms of uh making as a filmmaker i made a lot of films and i, I was juggling a lot of projects on a regular yeah. basis. But with YouTube, having that requirement for putting out consistent content, just learning how to do that. And even when you don't want to sit in front of the computer for another 20 hours or trudge through six hours of rushes and all this, you have to have a mentality that you have to train yourself. It's, it's like doing exercise. It's like getting yourself mentally and physically fit in order to be able to do the work that you need to do in order to get that content out. I mean, being a YouTuber, people are like, oh, the YouTubers is just people that play video games and there's cat videos there. But people that make those video games, it's like my kids watch a guy called Dan TDM and he puts out a film every day. And it, it's not an amazing level of production, but it's pretty slick. But to do that, he's working 10 hours every day to get that film out, to optimize it. And it, I mean, he's reaping the benefits from it, but he wasn't at the start. And I doubt his production mentality has changed from then. So I would say anyone who wants to start a YouTube channel, just set yourself a task of making a film every two weeks to start with doesn't matter what it is even if it's just like what we're doing here chatting with someone in your profession or someone that's you're interested in who's willing to talk to you it really doesn't matter mm. and then figuring out how to make the most of that piece of content so to do that you're probably going to have to do some research you're going to have to go and find some people who are successful in that area who are willing to share their message and listen to what they've got to say and then implement it in what you're doing so it's essentially just a constant experimentation phase with an impetus on going, I'm going to do this. Much like I'm going to go on a diet, I'm not going to eat any sugar. This is, I'm going to make films, I'm going to get one out at least every two weeks to start with. And if that's easy and achievable around your job or whatever else you're doing, try and up it. Try and get it to like one every week and then twice a week. And Because it is just a numbers game because no one film ever works for anyone. It's like Marvel. Marvel, biggest franchise in the world. First couple of films with Dog. Had to keep going, they had to keep spending the money and experimenting to figure out what works. And now it's just everywhere and you can't move for superheroes and stuff. And it's like, that's what they created. But it's the same mentality. Invest in figuring out how to make the best possible content you can and then go hard on distribution. Because any feature film, the budget on a feature film is always half for production and then half for distribution. Mm. Why shouldn't that be the same for any business video? Yeah. That's you true, gotta figure out yeah. how to get people to watch what you've made. Every video is a film, really, isn't it? I guess. 
Otherwise, yeah. you're ultimately just wasting that money. Yeah, and really. no, a film that no one watches is just a complete waste of time for everyone. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, let's uh, switch it up. You covered that really well. So let's go on. Um, favorite project you've worked on? What would you have you got any any that come to mind over your career so far? Uh, there was a project that I did probably about 10 years ago now, and it was for the Football Association uh, in conjunction with the Premiership and the Football League. Nice. And basically they came to us and they said, we need a new training package for all the stewards that work at any football club across the UK. And the thing that they were using to train their stewards up to that point was probably a decade old and was a PowerPoint presentation. So what they did is they came to us in April and they wanted it ready for September. So with those tight deadlines conjuncting with the end of the season of the football season, it was like, well, how are we going to make this video content? There was no time to design the actual training pack. So we, I essentially said, let's just go and film stewards doing their job, which 10 years ago is what I'm now proposing doing for every company. So 10 years ago, I didn't even realize that I was setting the basis for what I would eventually do now. Oh, wow. it was, there's no basis for what these films are going to be. We're literally just going to go and film stewards on match days at the end of the 2010 football season. <laughs> so we ended up going to Highbury, uh, the Etihad. Uh, we went to some lower league uh, clubs at Burton Albion where there was a pitch invasion and Bournemouth got promoted um, we went to Sheffield Wednesday's ground where they were hosting Crystal Palace and that was a really horrid match. there was a nasty pitch invasion at the end of that game and my colleagues who were there a guy who, and a cameraman who essentially shepherding the, the head steward there were actually punched on the pitch and it was just like it was mental oh, and we did that over the space of like three weeks. We went to like six games. And then off the back of that, it was like, well, we've got all this content. What's the actual training going to be? Mm. So the training pack was then designed. And it was like, right, we now have to make the video work that we've shot beforehand work with this training pack. And it worked out really well because we got all these little stories that were training points. So how do you deal with someone who's, not got a ticket and stood up in the stand when there's literally thousands of people baying for the other side's death. And it was just like, it was really intense interactions and they worked perfectly for how to train stewards, how to do their job. And that could have been easily turned into, right, let's get some actors in during the off season when the stadiums are empty and we'll set up some scenarios and we'll film them with actors. You could have done that. But the authenticity and the rawness and the reality of it would have just been lost. Whereas what we did is we sort of took a chance and we winged it and it's, it paid off. And I think worrying about sticking to scripts and stuff is just, there are instances where you do need to do it, especially yeah. in things like animation. You've got to have a script. You've got to have it all laid out for animation. But I think if you're going for a reality documentary style, you need to work with a documentary filmmaker who understands how to get anything out of any footage. And I think that sort of takes the pressure off everyone involved. It does put more pressure on the post-production, but if you were working with someone who can prove that they can do it, it's not really a problem. Yeah. 
There you go. A lot of people who listen to this will probably hate that. Essentially just cutting out all pre-production from any budget. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll push this one hard to all the film groups and see see what comments you get. Just yeah. that snippet. Um, yeah, that, that sounds like a fun project, to be fair. FA, I'm sure a lot of people would love to work for someone like that. But um, So we'll go yeah. on to from favorite project now looking to the future a dream project unlimited budget i always ask this one if you work with any brand or maybe any narrative or documentary you'd want to produce is there anything you've been dreaming of been thinking of um since i've been doing this approach i've worked with quite a lot of different sectors um i've worked in like um for a record company a music label, uh, a business coach. I worked in several food sectors, construction, uh, and it's applicable to all those businesses. But what I think the common denominator is that I look for is it's for people that are trying to do something different. If you're trying to do something or you've got a passion or you want to achieve something with your life or your business, you should document it. So... I would love the opportunity to follow a band round as they're going on tour or it doesn't matter. It doesn't even have to be like Coldplay doing a world tour. It could be essentially a new band that are coming out of nowhere and you just chart what they're trying to achieve and you chart the relationships within that dynamic. And that would be interesting to me or similar with a sports team. I'd love to follow uh, like a cycling team on the Tour de France, actually get behind the closed door, see how those people operate, see what it takes. Like, you know, have you seen the Michael Jordan documentary on mm. Netflix? Yeah, I love that. I mean, that, that. That access that they had, what, 20 years ago plus, and then they can bring it out now. It's like, thank God someone was recording that. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? I mean, I'm working on a project at the moment that, it started last uh, probably over a year ago now, and it was all based on a guy who wanted to recreate an artistic sculpture that was made for the 2012 Olympics. That that was then based on the final scene from the Italian job. So you know, at the end of the Italian job, the coach is hanging off the edge of the cliff. All right, yeah. <laughs> so a sculptor then recreated that coach and stuck it on off the edge of a building for the 2012 Olympics. So it was the 50th anniversary of the Italian job last year. So this guy who's like an art curator basically said, I want to recreate that sculpture and I want to go to Turin where the original film was set. Mm. And I want to hang it off a building in the center of Turin. And it's also the Italian art fair on at the same time. So it sounds like a cool thing. Literally, it's a dog's dinner. It all went sideways. But a year later now, I'm thinking about how I can actually turn that into something, how I can tell that story after the fact and make it engaging and possibly give some insight into the art world or about having dreams and not following through because they are just completely ludicrous. I mean, the guy who's done this is probably over 200,000 pounds in the hole now. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's complete like, wow. So did they start it or not? <laughs> It, it all happened, but the fact is, is that everyone who's been involved with that project 
hasn't been paid after the fact. And he's now got repossession orders and he's going to court for lots of different things. So it's sort of like the Fire Festival documentary, which is essentially documenting a massive cluster. It's yeah. just, yeah. So that's that's your dream project, potentially. Well, something, it, something like that, capturing a story of something yeah, historically just, impressive, I guess, or potentially dramatic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I personally think that people... Um, most people are like, oh, I don't want to be on camera. I, I, I can't, I, I'm, no good, I'm going to be no good on camera. I'm just yeah. really nervous and intimidated. The worst. <laughs> Literally, the way that I film, because I film everything myself um, as well, after 10 minutes, it's just having a chat with me, like this now, only I'm holding the camera and we're just talking about stuff that you know about. So getting you to open up on camera is very easy, I think, if you're willing to just take that leap. It's like my mate who's doing the Dirty Shed Creations, when we first started filming it, he was like, I don't want to be in it. I just want you to film all the processes of us making furniture. And I'm well, like, I my hands. <laughs> boring. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually got him to come out of his shell and he is a funny guy and he is very talented and he's very knowledgeable about a lot of things. So once you get him talking, He's sharing his knowledge and his uh, expertise, which is only valuable for that maker audience. And what that's now led to is that he's going to be on a Channel 4 TV show. Really? So he's going to be a main contributor on a long-running uh, TV show that's starting in the new year. Nice. And that's all off the back of doing this YouTube, YouTube yeah. That's it, isn't it? It's just, yeah getting people to forget the camera's even there because a lot of the time you say we're just chatting now and then I say right I'm going to turn the camera on and then they'll freeze up and then you're like okay oh so many times I mean so many times I was on a construction job once where it was the senior guy like wealthier than Zeus and just like he just lost it in front of camera and he just yeah. would not talk to me on camera it was like really? got to the point where he was just like get my PA get me out of here my level <laughs> stuff and he's just like yeah, and that's like successful, confident people. Yeah, you should know these things that I'm asking you. I'm not asking you about brain surgery. I'm asking you about your business. It's grow up. <laughs> grow up. <laughs> yeah. A little bit, yeah. It's like, <laughs> you're not doing things that are scary sometimes. No. Put you yeah. outside your comfort zone. How are you ever going to develop and grow as an individual? Yeah. Well, I think even going forward it's like people at the top i think because with the way video and all that's going that'll be a key skill for them to have probably you know communicating their company message through a camera to an audience right rather than you know in person or whatever yeah, yeah. and it, it's like anything when you start you will be rubbish it's like yeah. in the early films that i'm in i'm literally i can't even look in the camera i'm like looking away and it's you're like quiet and meek and it's just like get over yourself. This is the new world. You've got to be able to speak about you, what you do for a living or things that you've experienced. This, these aren't trick questions that you're being asked. Yeah. Well, yeah, just over time, things just even out, doesn't it? And then you just get better without noticing. It's the same me asking questions on this podcast. The first one, you know, you're fumbling yeah. every word. and But yeah, you just got to trust that you'll get there in the end. Yeah, it's just a confidence thing. You, any, I think any reasonable person has got an imposter 
sense on them that I'm, I'm, I'm not supposed to be, I'm not doing it. But having that, it's like first night nerves if you're an actor, I suppose. It's like, if you're not nervous about it, then you're probably going to mess it up. But having a little bit of nerves and being able to control them, it's like, first time I delivered a speech on stage, I was absolutely, it destroyed me. Just the thought that it wasn't necessarily doing it, it's the build-up to doing it that you're thinking about what's going to happen. It isn't actually the standing up and speaking. It's just having that time in the lead up that puts you in worry. So yeah, it's natural to feel it, but the more you do it, the more you get it under control completely. Yeah. How was that speech? Was it just a crazy rush? Can you still remember it now? The energy, was it an anxiety? Yeah, I mean, I'd done my homework. I over-prepared for it almost. And so I knew what I wanted to say. It was just, because it's unfamiliar, it was a, standing up in front of a group of people is not high on my list of to-dos, really. But having done it, it's like, yeah, it, your thoughts about what people think of you are always going to be worse than what people actually do think of you. Because most people won't even care or probably even be listening. Yeah. But, but you can you only... Just get through to a couple of yeah. You only realise that over time, though, don't you? You hear that with speakers all the time. Like, of course, <laughs> your yeah. first one, you're going to think everyone wants to kill you because they're all staring at you like some wolf pack. But really, they're all scared. Do you know what I mean? No one in the audience wants to ask a question. <laughs> because Yeah, they're probably worried about what's for lunch or yeah. <laughs> whatever it is. They're not really bothered about how you feel or what you're going to Yeah, do. they're worried if you're going to call them out and ask them a question themselves. You know, Everyone's exactly. thinking about themselves, really. But so you haven't really got too much to worry about logically. But um, So, yeah, we'll probably wrap up in about 10 minutes to be fair Mark it's been pretty good you've shared a lot of um, well that's the thing you could talk to forever about your um, experiences because you've worked on such a wide range of projects but um, yeah I think what would your advice be to someone starting in the video world this is why I ask everyone but I guess yeah. um, beginning probably they'd be beginning you know they know how to they know video concepts would you tell them to go work for an agency? Would you tell them to shadow? Would you tell them to start reaching out to clients themselves? What do you think your route would be if you could start again at, say, 18, 20? Uh, so when I decided that I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to be a film director, and essentially I was like, if I follow all these routes, I will get there. There is no set route. No one's ever going to give you anything. Mm. You want something, you have to figure out a way of going and taking it. So going and working for companies that specialize in advertising or marketing or uh, the actual production or post-production, all valuable stuff. Seeing how people do things more often than not is valuable in terms of how they do it, but also avoiding how they do it sometimes. I mean, I've worked for companies where it's like, oh my God, I can't believe that you're doing it this way. And you're like, well, why are they doing it that way? Then you try and avoid those things as you move through your career. The thing is now, if you're starting out now, you've got such an advantage over where I was. When, when I first started, to buy an editing system was probably 300,000 pounds. An Avid system, one hard drive of like five gigabyte was like a grand. It's, it's like Insane. the cost of technology has just come down massively. 
you've probably got a phone in your pocket that's 4K. Just start shooting stuff with whatever you have available and start researching how to make that stuff better. You've got the best resource possible with YouTube and Google. YouTube, I've learned so much from so many different people on so many different things. It initially started in that I got that Premier Inn job and I was like, right, I'm gonna have to get some cameras. And basically, when I bought the camera, I bought it off a recommendation from someone on YouTube who was doing a similar sort of job as I was doing. And then how to get the best results out of that camera, you go and find other filmmakers who are sharing best practice. Oh, you need this to get the best audio. You're going to need the filter on the front of it. Gimbals and stuff. It's like I shoot everything on a gimbal because literally I just hit record and I just go and I'm constantly shot, shot, shot. There's no setup. There's no get the light on that. It's just like bang, bang, bang. And I get like a thousand shot angles a day when I do a couple of hours filming just because I'm constantly moving because I know how to do that now. But it, I didn't at the start. It's just practice. So for anyone starting now, should you go to university to study media and marketing or video? Yeah. You should go to university. If you can afford to go to university and you can afford the cost of that, then definitely go because it's a great experience and you'll meet a lot of people that might help you. Yeah. You'll meet a lot of similar-minded people. You'll meet a lot of people who've got different opinions to you, which is also beneficial. But don't just go and think that doing that is going to get you where you want. If you're going to university like I was, wanting to be a film director, you've got so much free time set up something, set up a YouTube channel, set up something that is life for whatever university you're at, get it on the web, get it out there, start talking about it. Obviously do it with sensibly so that you're not deliberately being contentious or you're winding people up, but you're giving value to an audience. So I would thoroughly recommend doing that and just say yes to everything. If an opportunity comes up, even if you have doubts about it just say yeah just go and see what it's like what's the worst it's going to cost you an afternoon or it might cost you a bit of petrol just go and see where things lead because yeah there is no set path at all so especially with marketing as well marketing is slightly different if you were going to university to study marketing i would say at the moment because the marketing world changes so quickly with the platforms with the strategies if you're going to university to learn that stuff and expecting to come out and understand how to do marketing you're probably not because what you've been taught will be out of date by the time you leave university so what i would say is go and intern go and do free couple of weeks somewhere go and get a job low paid and just go i'm going to do this for a bit and figure out how it works at the same time as making your own content because being able to use the phone, camera, being able to write text that is engaging, understanding how to optimize that content. So linking, uh, tags, all these other things, you need to learn those things. And they're probably not being taught, but all that information is readily available to you. you so go. yeah, that would be what I would do. You just gotta be proactive. Yeah, I, I personally wasn't, I was, lazy i thought if i just followed these things and just do my best at the things that i'm asked to do that it'll all work out and it just it isn't true yeah everything that i've learned about how to make films i've had to teach myself pretty much 
yeah. by experimentation and research and just covering your bases by understanding that you don't know it all. Yeah, so like you said. Every, yeah. I mean, I'm still learning stuff every single day. So that is something that you have to take with you all the way through your career. Yeah, like you said, no one path, no magic bullet. Just no. got to experiment. Have you, I guess, have you seen that it's a lot harder than you imagined in terms of being successful to the point where you'd be happy? Is it oh, being yeah. a lot harder? Like, I think you said that before, didn't you? Like, yeah. I mean, it is a hard slog. If you're not prepared to suffer in some way, emotionally, probably more than physically, although it can be physical sometimes just because of the amount of effort and time that you have to put into doing something. But it's the emotional baggage. You have to learn how to take rejection. You have to learn how to juggle. It's almost manipulating uh, things to work in your way because people will not have the same outlook on life as you do. So you need to figure out a way to be able to express yourself so people understand you, but also to be able to understand other people and listen to what they need. So it's not necessarily listening to what they say, but reading between the lines sometimes. And that, those are skills that you, you never fully attain, but to just be aware that like, I mean, I always thought that I wanted a partner I always wish that I'd found someone who would have been like my production partner. We worked simpatico and we went out and we conquered the world. The fact is, is that that's a very hard thing to find. I mean, if it happened, it would be brilliant to find someone who's on my wavelength that we understood each other and we could go together. But I've got great relationships with freelance cameramen, soundies, like production people, post people and stuff. But having that person who's, on the same wavelength as you who lives and breathes filmmaking, that's a hard thing to find because mm. everybody's different. Everyone's got a different view about things and how they want to spend their spare time and how much time they want to give to it. It's like, it's a very difficult thing to juggle. Yeah. Finding I think, great collaborators. Yeah. Too many variables, aren't there? If you're going to spend that much time with one individual, I think, yeah, yeah you see it happens I mean, rarely, but it can happen like you said, but. It's a tough, yeah, it's like tough if you one. look on uh, LinkedIn, like the Go Agency, they seem to have that. Now, there's obviously words said behind that they don't want to share and they like to portray the fact that their agency works really nicely all the time. That's fair enough, yeah. But, but you have to understand that people only really share the good side of their stories. People are really open to sharing things when they go really seriously south. Um, yeah. Same with the brew dog guys, those two Scottish guys. Oh, uh, yeah, I see that one. It's like their YouTube content is mental. Like they're essentially doing like diving into the ice flows to make beer under a frozen lake and stuff like that. And that all looks really cool, but they are still two individual people who are running a massive company. There's got to be points where they clash or they have differences or they can't possibly be simpatico all the time. And it's like just understanding that people's social presences are only the good things. Yeah. And you have to be aware that doing creative industry stuff and doing stuff that you're passionate about will lead to confrontations and will lead to difficult relationships that you have to manage on a daily basis. 
So what do, you, what do you think about sharing the bad? Well, I know it's the whole Gary Vee thing, isn't it? Document, not create and all that. Do you think companies and individuals should share their struggles and or to what extent do you think they should? I'd love to see it. I haven't seen anyone do it. It's like no. Gary Vee. Gary Vee doesn't do it. You never see Gary Vee yeah, do anything. And it's just like he paints him out as this saintly, oh, <laughs> I'm going to buy the jets. Good to every employee and... I own up to my mistakes and stuff. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you do, but you've got to show the bad stuff as well because it will be there. Um, mm. I don't know. It's a very dangerous, risky strategy, I suppose. Yeah, but, it's getting it right, isn't it? It's, it's yeah, fine line to cross. Fine line, definitely. Yeah, All right. Completely. Thanks for that, Mark. You've shared loads. Um, anything you want to end on? Any uh, projects you're working on coming up? Any exciting personal projects? Uh, nothing I can really talk about at the moment I mean if uh, people are listening they want to check out the things that I'm doing on YouTube my YouTube channel is Dirty Shed Creations nice. if you check that out um, basically it's uh, a combination of a maker and a filmmaker um, there's quite a lot of comedy because the friend I'm doing it with we've known each other over 30 years so we've got a lot of banter we're quite rude to each other it's sort of a combination of the uh, have you been watching that um, Mortimer and Whitehouse Gone Fishing? So the two old comics essentially just go fishing. Oh, no, I can, I can imagine what it's like. Yeah, it's just very peaceful. They're just fishing and then taking the mickey out of each other. That's sort of what we do, but instead of fishing, we're making stuff out of wood and metal. And so there's a lot of tools and flames and stuff. So you've got the repair shop style element to it as well. Yeah, it's uh, entertaining, informational. Yeah, if you're into your DIY or you're sculpting or you're making stuff, it's yeah, artistic. It's good. Sick. Love it. Oh, thanks for coming on, Mark. Been really good. Well, there we go. Episode seven all wrapped up. Thank you, Mark, for coming on. Great to chat. So much experience. Hopefully, stay in contact. And yeah, everyone who's watching, listening, go check out uh, his website, Mark Knight Films loads of stuff going on love the narrative work and creative projects he's done for companies and yeah hopefully i'll be back soon in episode eight with someone just as wise and just as creative so yeah till next time peace